Welcome to Hard Mode. This startup caper is hard work. The startup founder reality is problem solving at its most extreme. A series of U-turns, struggles, setbacks, and adjustments on the path to creating tech-enabled businesses that customers and users love. Join us on this storytelling series with a roll call of technology company founders, investors, operators, and outliers as they share anecdotes of the journey towards sustainable growth. Hosted and curated by the team at Tractor Ventures. Welcome to Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Hard Mode. Welcome to this episode of Hard Mode featuring the English Farm founder, Matthew Radich. The English Farm was created by teachers to be the best place on the internet to learn English. They're a community of more than 120 teachers based all around the world, with Matthew himself residing in Auckland, New Zealand. With a large amount of their customers in Japan, the English farm are embarking on an exciting new mission shortly, focusing on Maori language as a new stream of the business. This episode is hosted by myself, Gary Williams, Head of Engagement here at Tractor Ventures. Enjoy. Uh, Well, Matthew, really pleased to have you as part of the Hard Mode podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm I'm really keen to get stuck into the the English farm origin story and mm-hmm. I guess your role uh, in it, in developing it um, as the founder and leader. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start there? Let's talk about the beginnings sure. of the English farm and, and move to where we are today. Uh, the English farm really began uh, about 10 years ago um, when I was working on contract uh, for another company. Uh, teaching English online to business professionals in Japan and uh, management consultants. Um, The the opportunity arose for me to pitch to a key client uh, who remains our key client to this day, Um, principally because I thought that I could do a better job than the, the, the people that I was working for at the time. Um, And so by myself in my spare time, kind of taught myself how to put a website together to service that business. And that was where the English farm came from, which is a a one-to-one English learning platform specifically for the Japanese market and specifically within that market for management consulting firms and professionals. So your core user base or customer base is um, or was Japanese professionals working yeah, within absolutely. management yeah. firms and consultancy predominantly? Mm-hmm. But some, big, some big names as well, you know, which is a fact I'm, I'm, I'm quite proud of. We on reflection, we started in what's reputed to be the most difficult market to enter. And I guess I should say at this point that I was living in Brazil at the time, so I wasn't even you know, physically. Oh, right. Um, and then at the very top end of that market with uh, clients who, you know, due to confidentiality, I can't name, but, but are, are very well respected and very well known globally. Um, so I did really kind of start it in the hardest way possible, which I guess fits in with the theme of this podcast. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning, it was just me, and and I I, I did most of the the work. I had a a small cohort of teachers that I had known professionally in Japan that were were you know that we helped to to deliver those first sort of that first cohort of lessons in 2016, which is when we, we launched our corporate business. Okay. Um, and so, you know, speaking to my role in those days was, you know, the guy that did everything from, from teaching 
lessons to writing content to to, to building the website running the business and all those sorts of things i think it's a very yeah. typical typical story and we just grew it from there really bootstrapped it um as the business grew we were able to do more and more and develop the platform bring more people in that had expertise you know one of, one of the first major additions to the team was our lead developer um who's still with us today as well and he's, okay. he's working out of london so we're, we're truly a kind of a distributed online only virtual company i guess and you've been remote first i guess for for quite some time now yeah. and as you said you were scaling scaling up the operational function uh I, i'm assuming that you're also scaling up the um the deliverers of the the educational based model so how is that yeah. sort of in terms of scaling those facilitators at the beginning we had a, a you know a handful of, of teachers we now employ in one way or another about 130 people um in the course of about six years we've grown pretty well um I would love to know a little bit. So you referenced before that you were you were in Brazil, but then you're yeah, focusing yeah. on the Japanese market. Let's step back a tiny bit. Sure. Uh, did you have a long extended tenure in Japan? Was that the sort yeah. of the reasoning? And and had the English farm been sort of a, a passion project that you wanted to explore? Okay, so if we roll the clock back a bit, then it's it's kind of useful to know that I've had a very long term relationship with Japan, and it's a market and a culture and a language that I know pretty well. Um, yep. I first went there in 91 and then studied there in 95 for a year and then and then lived and worked in Japan from about 2004 to 2011. And while I was there, I, I, I've always had an interest in entrepreneurship and, and, and always knew that I would work for myself in the end and was mm-hmm. looking for something that I could do that was... Uh, could start small with minimal resources that, that I could manage myself um, and so I started working remotely and online in about 2008 uh, with a side hustle that is around to this day as well, but still only as a side hustle. And that's kind of where I cut my teeth on these sorts of things. And I worked uh, for yeah six, seven years in Japan as an English teacher. And then when I moved to Brazil in 2011, uh, my wife had been studying in Japan, graduated, and we shifted there. I ferreted around for what work I could find in, in Brazil, not being a Portuguese speaker at that stage, mm-hmm. and found this online work. And that was, I mean, really, that was a fluke. I was the only teacher that they, that company that I had, had uh, was working for that spoke Japanese, and they just landed this quite significant client in Japan. And so I then oh. became the principal teacher of that particular business. But I could see that there were things that could be done better. And in a fit of peak one evening, I said to my wife, something to the effect of I could do a better job than this. And she said, well, do it or shut up your complaining. Um, and that really was the impetus for the whole thing. And I sat down and I, I figured out how to make a website that delivered, you know, it started off as being um, Google Docs, Google Calendar and Skype. And gradually, sure. you know, we built that functionality into our own website. And so now it's completely self-contained. But it the motivation, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's a, this specifically is, I mean, it's my baby now, but at, this, at that stage, it wasn't a passion project per se, is more me trying to solve my own difficulties in employment and mm-hmm. better serve my students because at, at my core, I'm a teacher. And so our, our motivation to, you know, organizationally is to look after our students in the best way that we can. And I felt that in all of the jobs I'd had in the past, I was basically hamstrung in in 
lots of ways and wasn't necessarily able to do the job to the best of my ability and, and certainly wasn't recognized or, or rewarded for that. And I thought that, you know, better front up and put my money where my mouth is and, and, yep. and do a better job. And I think that we've done that quite demonstrably. I mean, when we took over, well, we didn't even take over that, that, that account, that first account, we were added as an option. Um, and we captured immediately off the bat 80% of the students at that organization when we were unproven and unknown, um, which speaks to, to the, the suspicions that I had that the, the other offerings were not doing what they were promising to do mm-hmm. and, and that my reputation as I built up with the students in that business enabled me to get the traction I needed with their, uh, their HR to, yeah. to take a punt on our business. Excellent. Cut, cut to now. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, I, I'd love to hear, you know, where you're based from um, at this point in time and mm. I guess what your role is translated to mm. down the track to the point mm. we find ourselves in today. Mm. So we've we've taken a very slow and methodical approach to growth up until last year. We, we let it grow organically and just kind of focus on producing you know, essentially what we ended up with, and, and my apologies to Dan, our developer, that he inherited a, a, a horrible monolithic entangled code base, but what, which was sort of a rapid prototype. Um, mm-hmm. And because we didn't have the tools to scale, we kind of took our time. We took businesses that arose. We had a few inbound kind of leads develop based on our reputation and, and, and you know, our, our students being consultants, they're, they're interacting with other businesses. And we could see that they were in, you know, potentially through, through them bringing, bringing clients to us. Yeah. Um, and in the last, the last 12 to 18 months has really been a process of me trying to extract myself from day-to-day operations so that I can, you know, it's that old sore of working on the business, not in it. Um, And I think that that transition has been difficult, Um, but, and that's because of our distributed workforce. It's because we have a a, a really a core philosophy of developing teachers into roles um, for a couple of reasons to give them something different to do in in the career trajectory. But also I think that having teachers in, in sales roles and so on means that the educational outcomes are at the heart of everything that we do. And I think that that's really essential to our success as a, as educators, um, you don't get this. You don't get the same level of butting heads that I've seen in my career between um, sales and operations. When sales, for instance, is aligned with what you're doing because they've done it themselves. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. And so now, you know, like now that I've got people around me that that are able to manage the day to day and take care of payroll and all those other sorts of things, it does mean that I'm I'm much more able to work on business development and strategy and all those other sorts of things that were nice to have in the early days, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But no no doubt plays to uh, your, your strengths from the initial days as well. But, you know, bearing in mind, you may not have been able to allocate as much time while building websites and so on. But oh, how do you was... feel about that being, being your predominant role uh, now in terms of um, having a bit more luxury to do so, building those sort of long-term relationships with anecdotally a lot of uh, evidence and data behind you now along the journey? Um, I found that having a distributed workforce, you rely heavily on trust. And and when I say that, I don't mean 
whether or not people are doing the hours that they say they are. What I mean is whether or not they have the level of support that they need when you're trying to develop people into roles to make sure that they are working in the best way that they can. Mm-hmm. And that's been quite challenging because you don't have the same, you know, we're, we're, we're all working in different time zones, for instance. So, so just logistically, it becomes harder. You might send a message to somebody in the UK and then it's a good 12 or 14 hours till they reply. And then it's another mm-hmm. 12 or 14 until you actually see it. So uh, even though it, it's, it's structurally better and allows me to kind of, like you say, focus on the things that, that really should be my job at the same time, I can't take my eye off the ball and, it's not a luxury that I have that I think that other sorts of businesses might when they're able just to kind of cooey across the the, yeah. the office or go out for a coffee or something and, yeah, yeah. and mull stuff over. So we have to be a lot more deliberate in our communications and a lot clearer than perhaps I think people anticipate when they get into this mode of working. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we've all had a couple of years of it now and, and, and probably have settled into the right rhythms. But yeah, yeah. It takes a while and, to figure that out. And as I understand it, I mean, you've got uh, like mm-hmm. quite an extensive um, community of, of teachers. And, mm-hmm. and also, as I understand it, you said all around the world, but um, from what I understand, sort of located on every continent. Yeah, except Antarctica, I think. Is, you except know, Antarctica. Unless you know <laughs> some bored, bored scientists. Yeah, no, we've, we've, and that's part of our strategy. You know, you know we're offering a, we're offering a service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And that in itself presents a whole lot of logistical and management problems in terms of demand and supply and, and, mm-hmm. and making sure that people are engaged and occupied. Um, but what it does do is it, it gives our students this breadth of experience that they don't get elsewhere, particularly in the Japanese market. Yeah, sure. People are hard, aren't they? Uh, you know, the managing well, people, no, I mean, and especially an extensive group. <laughs> No, I don't. I don't. So, so one of the one of the big kind of the the major pushback that we we often get, you know, if I go out and talk to an investor, the major pushback I get is like, this doesn't scale because it's people multiplied by time. Mm-hmm. Um, the I don't think people are hard. I think I think people are relatively straightforward. I think it does come down to the culture that you create. I mean, we are blessed in that we have a huge amount of kind of capital stock with the people that we work with, purely. For for I think how transparent we are with our communications and how 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 much we put them at the top of you know we our, our organizational structure I guess is is an inverted pyramid I suppose like the with with the and, and I think that this speaks also to a question of service businesses I'm, I come from a hospitality background and, and and I've only ever worked in services don't ask me about product I don't you know <laughs> and I think that People just want to be respected and trusted and looked after. They want to be in the loop. They want to know that they're valued. And I'd like to think that that's the environment that we've created. So I don't, I don't have an issue with people in the sense that it's, it's not people that are hard. It's, it's, it's the way in which we, 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 we are compelled to work together because of the circumstances of, in, in terms of the macroeconomic environment, but also in, in terms of the structure and the characteristics of our business. And, mm-hmm. I, and I don't know that hard is the right word to use either because I find that as being um, 
not pessimistic, but I, I would reframe it as being just another uh, another thing to attack and solve. And and I think that if you're creative and you've got your heart or your 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 motivations are are aligned with the people that are delivering the service and the people that are, you're working with, then I, I don't find it hard at all. Mm. And the other thing that we've found as well is that because we you know we pay pretty well, conditions are good. It's very easy in, to find people on the planet want to work in those conditions and, 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 and do the job. I mean, essentially what we do is we enable the, the service deliverers, the teachers, which are the, you know, the heart of our business. Everything that we do exists to support them delivering the best service that they can. And mm-hmm. in doing that, all our other problems are solved because they make sure that our customers are satisfied and happy, and that's their job. Um, but like I said, in the past, I felt that, that a lot of, the players in the industry uh, don't give enough attention or um, love to the people who are on the front lines. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I was listening to a podcast a while ago uh, and it was a CEO in our space. And I think it went on for 40 minutes or an hour and he didn't mention teachers more than once or twice. The rest of it okay. was all. Very interesting. I mean, I'm glad I put it out there because that's a perfect uh, response to a, you know, um, somewhat flippant uh, mention of um, dealing with people being hard. And I think yeah, that's... no, I'm not, 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 not calling you out for it because I think it is a, like I said, it's an automatic reaction. As soon as I say to, you know, um, like I said, talking to potential investors, and I say what well, we uh, they, they want, they want a SaaS product that can throw a bunch of money at AWS and scale rapidly. They don't want to deal with businesses like ours, but when you look at the the, the unit economics and the, 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 the length of kind of tenure of our students and the per, you know, the average, the, the revenue that we bring in per user on average, it's, it's an incredibly lucrative thing to be doing if you can crack it. I think we've cracked it um, in terms of delivery. What we haven't cracked is, is, is getting in front of clients when we're an unknown quantity in, in, in new markets. That's the hard thing for sure. us right now. I mean, you know, reference some aspect which may be hard. Um, but uh, what about uh, what about what is particularly hard for you in sort of um, growing the company over the journey? I or I guess a little bit more of the mm. reality. You've alluded to some factors uh, of it, but mm. what else sort of comes to mind in sort of developing the English farm to this point? So there are this, there are these kind of structural idiosyncrasies about our business. So we we're, we're kind of beholden to a twenty four hour cycle. And we then we have a we have a, a cadence over the year where we have you know, seasonality built into what we do because of the demands of, of our clients. Of course, that's particularly challenging. Um, and the last twelve months, we've been looking at ways that we can broaden our student base so that that we don't have that that cyclical twenty four hour kind of rush period. Lots of businesses deal with that, you know, and I'm reminded again of hospitality and having to deal with the you know the lunch rush when you're at a cafe. It's always sure times of <laughs> pressure and then times of, of 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 not idleness but but and so we try to make use of those downtimes and engage the teachers in other forms of work to keep them around and to keep them occupied to keep and, and, and again that, that does sound like it's flippant but it's not busy work but what productive things can I or can we use this pool of labor and I, I don't like talking so kind of inhumanely and impersonally about, about the people that I work with like this. But, you know, when it comes down to the kind of brutal business side of things, 
looking at ways in which we can kind of ride through those lean times um, and smooth out those cycles. So that's one of the first challenges, and that was what precipitated our, our you know, burgeoning ventures into new markets, and we're getting some traction around the world now. That also mitigates the forex risk that we have. You know, we're at the behest of the Bank of Japan at the moment and taking a bath on on, on their weak yen. Um, so obviously, having a, a a broader base of clients would it would 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 mitigate those risks as well. But the hardest thing I think is when you're small and you're unproven, um, getting in front of people and and getting the opportunity to demonstrate you know we've got the stories that 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 that, you know prove that we we're we're better than the rest Um, i wouldn't Mm. be interested in doing this if 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 that weren't the case very high standards for what we do and how we do it yeah and the and you know like making sure that quality and consistency are always there so we've you know but yeah that is that is that is the hardest thing when you don't have resources and you don't have expertise in-house how to crack into that those new areas of business and, and, and sure i think that you know common wisdom prevails you know i yeah. think that most yeah. people know what the solutions to those things are it just takes time and energy and and, and effort and it is effortful of course and maybe to um to unpack that seasonality factor a little bit more with a bit more yeah. detail are we referencing yeah. i guess um, one particular time of the year, if we're talking time-based, or is it uh, contingent on end of financial year factors, etc.? What what's um way impacts that our, the business the most? Yeah, it's 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 for us. It's the way it's humans and the way that they do stuff, and it's also kind of constraints not inf- inflicted. Again, sounds like it sounds kind of mean, but it's 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 <laughs> it's inflicted upon us by clients because they've got their own internal constraints. So, as an example. Um, one of our clients, one of our clients does two six-month terms in a twelve-month year, and so as they approach the end of a term, everybody's rushing to finish off their course before the end of it because they get in trouble with their work if they've not made the most of the opportunity that that they've been given to to improve their English skills with the English farm. Mm-hmm. So that gives us quite a bit of a, a bump a couple of times a year. And then, you know, overlay that with another client whose term structure is 10 months on, two months off. You end up having these rushes at the end of the term that, that, that produce this kind of season. So from our lowest point to our highest point, there's a three to four fold increase in what we're doing month to month. I see. Um, which means that we have to staff, obviously, for the, for the, for the busy times. Fortunately for us, English teachers are accustomed to having multiple income streams and they can kind of switch away and, and, and some will go off and do a couple of months for a university or something like that. But ultimately, the, the vast majority of them would prefer to work solely for us because conditions and, 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 and the environment are so much better. Uh, but we, we currently don't have the level of business that is consistent enough that enables us to do that. So we, we kind of... And again, I think having an understanding of the realities of their situation, having lived through that myself for a good 15, 16 years, mm-hmm. um, means that we're better able, I think, to fit around and their situation and, and, and do what we can to, to improve it in what ways that we can. It does a lot in terms of, of the relationships that you have with the people that you work with. Of course. It's just really interesting to hear aspects of... Um... 
you know, very human factors such as uh, procrastination, etc., <laughs> affecting yeah. a, a business such as yours, and and um, and then unpacking that even more so, then factoring in well, as a, as an operator, a, a founder mm. running a company, then you need to you've got all these other aspects such as you know staffing and preparation and, and you know the yearly strategy, etc., that needs to factor in these are uh, very human factors. Yeah. And, and, you know, we know what to do to solve these things, but it's much easier said than done. What I try to do is, is solve for what I can with the resources that I have and then, and then figure out a way to get to the point that will remedy the things that remain, always in the assumption that I'm going to have less time and money than, than I, you know, like the, 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 I, my, my, my approach is always to take the most conservative approach and the most risk averse approach. Because one of the things that I'm extremely aware of is that I have a lot of people relying on decisions that I make to be sure that they can pay their bills and, mm. and these sorts of things. And how do you, um, I'd love to go just a tiny bit deeper below mm-hmm. the surface uh, as a mm-hmm. as a founder like uh how do you how do you find that experience even though you've been doing it for quite some time so relating to this point in time mm-hmm. you know what 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 types of uh thoughts occupy your mind or, or or in the pursuit of continuous improvement do you sort of reflect on relatively continuously everything all the time i think i think my brain doesn't stop working when it, and and I, and I and again i think there's probably a typical story right like you don't really even if you're not working you don't have downtime mm. um, and i'm the kind of person that mulls over things a lot the real key to it all is not what what should i be doing but how do i get there given resource constraints mm. um, i'm i'm fortunate in that we've got a really solid team and again, I think that's a product of luck and, you know, to a certain extent, design, by which I mean creating the, creating the environment that we work in was, was purely intentional. Um, but then it just so happens that a few key characters have come along and, and they've had the skill set that we've needed. And, and mm. then good people know good people. That's the bottom yeah. line, right? And so they bring... Uh, you know, like uh, people, people say to me, like, obviously the biggest problem you're going to have is finding teachers. And I'm like, that's the last concern on my mind. Uh, the teachers are everywhere. Good ones. Mm. Um, and once you know some, we, we, we have an overabundance of people applying to work for us. We just don't have the, the, the work to provide for them. That's the frustration for me as well, right? Like is that I can see that we've got, there's a lot of legs to what we're doing. Um, if only we could drum up the business. Good teachers have their own network of good teachers, obviously, to bring along for the yeah, ride. Yeah. 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 Okay. I'd love to dive a bit deeper, maybe into a bit more of your backstory, and let's take it way back sure. to earlier. Um, I mean, you've referenced being in Japan for an extended period of time and obviously finding mm-hmm. your way to Brazil, and now you're based in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, I'm, in I'm in New Zealand, Aotearoa. And we've been back here since 2016. But if you want to dial it right back, um, uh, when I finished high school, I, I won a scholarship to study Japanese in Japan for a year. I'm the kind of person who's never known what they want to do. I've never had any kind of career objective beyond. It's got to be rewarding. It's got to be. It's got to be good work. Um, and so at university, the first thing I did, I studied a. Um, I did a degree in Asian history focusing in Japan with a minor in Japanese language and then did some time working for a TV company, which didn't really suit me. So I went back to school and ended up with a graduate degree in economics. And at that stage, uh, I wasn't 
really sure what my next step would be. Would I, would I become an academic and kind of follow the history path or whatever that might lead to? Um, or would I continue with economics? And I, I was, I'm deeply interested in both um, for different, different reasons. And so I thought I'll take a break. I'll go back to Japan. I'll, you know, shore up my Japanese. Um, I had the plan of doing a year or a year and a half working holiday, going to Europe. Um, my family's originally from Croatia and I've never been there to this day. Uh, but I thought I'd like to go and connect with, with cousins and, and things like that. But shortly after arriving in Japan, I met my um, wife, who I mentioned earlier is Brazilian. And she was there um, on a government scholarship uh, studying a master's and then once she completed that she decided to do a PhD and by that stage I was kind of well, I'm just going to bide my time and figure out something to do mm. I've two older brothers one's an academic and one was an investment banker at that stage having been a consultant I kind of looked at their lots and 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 wasn't remained unconvinced that more tertiary education was a solution to my problem and was in fact just procrastinating and delaying mm. the inevitable so um Eventually, when, when Viv graduated, we moved back to Brazil and, and where she's from and, and had a couple of kids. And that was when I was, um, that, was the, that was the hardest period of my life. That was the, the, when we were the most impoverished and kind of the, safe. The, yeah. So when we landed that first client, I think we were, we were literally down to our last 20 bucks. <laughs> we, felt like, we felt like we were stuck in Brazil and we would never, we, our plan had always been to have a couple of kids and leave Brazil. Like the, the, the intention of going to Brazil was because if we didn't do it, then we probably never would live there um, for reasons of education and, and other sorts of things. Um, okay. And I wanted to learn principally how much, how much of, 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 of my wife's character was, was cultural, how much of it was familial and what was individual, you know, and learn her language and, and, and bring our kids up with in that, context um mm. and then yeah we moved back to new zealand in 2016 we've been here since and and i don't think that we'll stay here forever we'll probably go go somewhere else um at some point and live abroad i think that one of the reasons why i work the way that i do is to enable me to be anywhere uh, so that whereas my wife has a much more traditional career and so so just something that i can continue to do while she focuses on what's what's the best path for her what about uh let, let's say go to that moment where mm-hmm. you, you reference you know potentially being down to your last 20 dollars or so so yeah. that that unlocked the business somewhat so um take it back to sort of your mindset around that time so what what started to change and evolve from there apart from the business growing legs so to speak had that sort of um had that affect your mindset as a founder in a in a, in a positive slant uh, i mean by that stage it was really make or break and what brought that about was so i had in 2015 i had approached this client and said i'm thinking of doing this and if i did it would you be interested and they kind of said yeah maybe uh, it was good kind of positive noises, but n- nothing very committed. And, you know, because because teaching English is a journeyman's trade, you know that you can always pick up work somewhere. Um, mm. And because I was also still working for the, the company, all the people that, all of my students were still getting access to my classes, which is what they wanted, right? They, they didn't care. Uh, you, you know, the teacher-student relationship becomes the core focus. And, and, and for the students, they don't really care what company is delivering that as long as the teacher is 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 delivering good of course um so i went for a period of working every day uh for quite a considerable time 
um, from very early in the morning to late at night because you know obviously Brazil and Japan are antipodes and so the times that I that, that were in demand weren't necessarily convenient times for me but I just had to wear that saved up a head of cash and kind of budgeted for 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 a period and figured out that if I finished work at the end of November 2015 I would have enough cash to see us through to 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 the potential starting point of a new contract with this client because remember I okay. said I, I knew their term system um and I pitched to them and eventually they you know they came back to us and said yeah okay we'll kick it off um but like I said we were down to we were down to nothing we were running on fumes and <laughs> staying for free in in my wife's parents apartment and you know doing it on on the bare minimum with a three and a half year old and a newborn to boot, you know, so I really had bitten off quite a lot. But like I said, it was kind of make or break, and 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 you know, it's nothing like everything being on fire to give you a sense of clarity and purpose and drive. Um, so, and that's that's all. There's all. I think there's always that leap involved when you do these sorts of things. There's always a point where you kind of decide I'm going to have to either I'm going to have to chuck in my day job and 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 focus on this thing. Um, but I mean, by that stage, it had already been a very, very, very long journey, mm. uh, building the thing and figuring it out um, myself. I'm not a coder. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Just as long as um, it worked, you know. Of course. Yeah. And look, the po- the podcast is called Hard Mode, but but uh, you know that's taken in different ways by the different founders that we speak to as mm-hmm. part of that, and um, mm-hmm. and some are more recent examples, and then obviously some are um some legacy examples that while humorous mm-hmm. over a dinner party conversation, no doubt uh, would have been mm-hmm. an extremely difficult time back then, let alone having two very young kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I mean, and that's 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 partly to do with you know me being a bit of a late bloomer. I didn't leave university until I was twenty-seven because I ended up with three degrees, which is overkill. Mm. Um, and and so you know, I think that most people you'd you'd want to get started a little bit earlier, I suppose. Um, but I never felt it never felt out of hand. It never felt like it was not gonna. And I think that you do have to have a um, a sense of optimism, right? Like, and if you don't think it's going to work, then you probably shouldn't start. Mm. Um, and I remain utterly convinced that what we're doing is 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 vastly better. And that's not that's not that's based on the feedback that we get from our students and our teachers. You know, we're on the right track. Um, but I think that you do fall into this field of dreams kind of mentality, and that you just build the thing, and then they will all come and bash down your door. And it doesn't work like that. Um, and I think that when it does. I think that people have to be reasonably frank in their assessment of why it has happened. And I think that often it comes down to sheer luck, right place, right time. You know, nobody really, it was, it was pure luck that I got that job teaching that firm in Tokyo. It was, you know, it was lucky that I was the only person that spoke Japanese on that platform. And the only reason that I'd signed up to their platform was because I was interested in ed tech from years beforehand and had forgotten that I even had an account there. I <laughs> uh, just kind of fell into my lap, and I think that those kinds of coincidences and that serendipity can 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 explain a lot of success and failure. You know, this this year has been the opposite in the sense that circumstances have conspired to deal us a bad hand in every aspect of the business and we're playing with some pretty shitty cards um and so you have to make sure that the the business is resilient enough to handle that that you're resilient enough to handle that that you've got contingencies 
in place. Um, and we do. I mean, being 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 online, being distributed, we can run the business extremely efficiently and leanly. You know, like and and that's always good to have in your back pocket. That if the worst comes to the worst, turn everything off, keep the servers going, and you're still in business. Which is why I like this 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 um domain which is why i like doing business on the internet i think i think from when i started on the internet in the 90s it was clear to me that there was you know massive opportunities i'd love to uh maybe while we're in sort of a pensive mode uh maybe reflecting on a significant uh personal win or personal business win uh along the journey uh whether it's related to that particular point where um you know, really sort of scraping the barrel and then sort of finally unlocking and setting on the journey or whether sort of other moments have eventuated that really started to see the English farm gain a lot of traction and, and as a result, you experience a large amount of personal satisfaction as a result. Gaining that first account was kind of validation of the business as a concept. That was significant. That was hugely significant because then that was like, you know, I can stand on my own two feet. One of the mental traps that you get into as a founder is that you have this fully formed idea of what it is that you're working to achieve and not being able to kind of do it now 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 can become frustrating and so the trap is to focus on how far you've got to go um and i i prefer to think about how far i've come um and because i think that that that's as motivating and and definitely healthier psychologically speaking because i do think that that you have to look after your own uh, mental and physical health because so many people end up relying on you as a leader and Mm -hmm. as a kind of bellwether of the business. And so if you're... I think that if you fall into that trap of thinking, oh, we still need to do this, we still need to do that, then you're inclined to neglect the wins that you've had. And those wins are, are just as important fuel as everything else. I don't, you know, like I said, maybe everybody else has had this realization, but for me... Kind of coming around and thinking, oh, holy smokes! There's there's like a hundred people plus now working here, and we've we've got a you know seven figure income and, and mm. valuation of blah blah blah. A lot of that, a lot of that is, it's intangible, but it's important because then you can kind of measure the work that you've done. Another, I mean, another significant thing for me was just being able to pay myself a salary, which I find was able to do this year. Right. And these, I think these things, there's lots of little wins all the time. I mean, the point is, is that, that um, you know, we've landed a couple of big accounts and, and those are kind of nice. But I think more gratifying for me is, um, you know, when you read a comment from a teacher or from a student, about how transformative the English farm has been for them in ways that I didn't anticipate as well. But that's it's pretty it's pretty moving and it sounds cheesy, but it's humbling as well, you know, to think that you can have that kind of degree of what we do is not business critical. It's not a thing that I think even lots of people understand in terms of the value. We have a massive influence on people's lives. We English teachers are a little bit like bartenders. And our classes turn into kind of informal counseling or venting sessions as much as they are. <laughs> and it does, it gives people a chance to escape from their boss or their client who's demanding or just stop working and take 25 minutes out of their 16 hour day to, to think about something else. And that that's in, incredibly helpful for, for people. I can imagine. So there's constantly moments like that, I think. If you're doing stuff well and right, I think that you should, by definition, not 
struggle for things like that to reflect on and to to um, you know just be proud of. Of course, and you know we, we've gotten to know each other a little bit through the Tractor Ventures and uh, the English Farm um, relationship over the journey, and um, mm. no doubt yourself with the emphasis mm. on bootstrapping and a number of other mm. companies who who have done so as well have had um you know some similar motivations mm-hmm. uh but obviously um you know as part of that it's to you know take an element of funding and then plot the next um sort of short-term phase yeah. of yeah. the company yeah. what's where do we find ourselves at the moment in an english farm context with what's uh either recently launched or soon mm. to launch that you can mm. speak of that's the next exciting yeah. phase of the company and and that you're excited about personally. Well, I mean, this goes to goes to to the the point I was making earlier about as a founder, you can see where things should be going. Um, the English farm for us is a step towards an end goal, um, and and our platform and our technology allows us to do a whole lot of different things and scale in multiple different directions, different industries. Um, different geographies, different languages, lots of things, different sorts of services mm. as a kind of recombination of the principal kind of tools that we have, which is a booking platform, a communications platform, user profiles, record keeping, things like that. Um, the first thing, you know, and, 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 and it's interesting that you raised, you brought up Tractor because, because Tractor's been the only people that actually really kind of fundamentally get what we do and what we're about in terms of um, in terms of, of viability as a business, in terms of the potential for growth. Mm. And so that that support that we got last year has 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 enabled us to do a whole bunch of stuff. We've, we're in the process of rebuilding our platform from the ground up and we've got a kind of a, a soft date of September 1st. Um, okay. So we're getting very close to that. And that's going to enable us to launch a new business in New Zealand, which is operationally for all intents and purposes, the same, but teaching uh, Te Reo Māori to New Zealand. Fantastic. Um, and, and Aotearoa. So, so, but, but then I was going to say something earlier on that uh, when I was talking about serendipity, um, one of the lessons that I learned very early was that you first being the first mover is not always an advantage. And, and when you're dealing in this kind of tech environment, the original idea for the English farm was put to me by somebody else in probably about 2008, 2009. And my, my response then was, there's no way anybody's going to do that because nobody's used to doing this sort of thing online. And I think that was the right decision at the time. But a few other people came along and the market became accustomed to it, which then meant that the English farm was something that people could understand. I think that when we consider the New Zealand case at the moment, New Zealanders are not used to in the same way kind of investing time in learning a second language um, even if it is a, the indigenous language and an official language of this country that level of investment in personal development is very natural in a place like Japan um, and so thinking about how we design the service to fit in and get the right product to market fit here in New Zealand has been quite interesting but those lessons can kind of feed back into the other businesses that we're going to be rolling out over the next period um, to, to address what we've learned about the markets that we're in and what they really want. So we're going through 
quite a protracted period of quite hard work, but it's informed by the years of experience that we have leading, leading up to this point. It's just a lot of stuff to do, you know, like kind of structural things that you get when you're setting up a, a new business. And, but I'm really confident that it's going to be vastly easier because it's a market I know, it's a market I'm in, and, and me and the people involved, we have our own personal networks here, which is we, ne- we never had the benefit of any of those things when we started out in Japan, which talking about moments for reflection, I'm still kind of, I don't want to sound like a wanker, but I'm quite impressed with myself that I managed to kind of get that first client in that market then. Um, Of course. I don't know if it's fair to say, I don't know many founders, but I know that potentially, you know, I've got, I'm a little bit, you have to be confident and you have to be, um, you have to be sure that something's going to work, uh, but there are always gambles. And so, so at the moment we're kind of working through those issues. We're restructuring the English farm to make it more resilient. We, we, we had, I might've mentioned earlier that we have this, you know, this, the seasonality and we're right in the middle of the trough right now. Um, and I was hoping that last year when we were in the trough, that was going to be the last time that it happened, but it's happened again this year. So that, that's, that's kind of, it's annoying. It's frustrating. Um, so, you know, our, pa- our plans didn't come to fruition, but we know why. Um, and so we're taking this as an opportunity to, to, to look at how we organize our work, look at who's doing what, where are we, what are we trying to achieve and, and reassessing everything, be it, be it messaging and, and positioning and product and, see where we come out at the end fantastic uh all right well matthew look thank you very much again for for joining us uh you know we we've been really impressed and really enjoyed watching the uh the english farm journey but especially for this next phase of growth uh Mm. incredibly excited for you the team and where the company heads to next and i want to thank you for joining us for the for the podcast today Mm. yeah thanks gary um it's like Thanks to Tractor as well. You guys have been incredibly supportive. I'm really excited about what's in store. It's been it's been good to talk. That was Hard Mo with the English Farm founder, Matthew Radich, in conversation with myself, Gary Williams. You can find the English Farm online at theenglishfarm.com and on Facebook at The English Farm. Thanks a lot for joining us.